Yeah, change things up a little bit today uh, from what I was initially doing, still gonna kind of tackle it, but uh, man, just watching the news yesterday and then waking up this morning with more news. Uh, it, you know, my topic this week for our life plan is rest. And I just said, you know, it, it was just earlier yesterday, maybe Friday, when I was starting to think like, what's the opposite of rest? And what came to my mind was stress. Maybe it's just because it kind of rhymes. Uh, but it, it just, I think when we're stressing, we have a hard time resting, you know. And for a lot of us, in order to overcome stress, we need to rest a little bit more. Matter of fact, one statistic I read said that over 75% of Americans deal seriously with stress. And, and there's a list of what are the stressors, like what are some of the main stressors over the last couple of years. 63% of the people that stress talk about future of our nation. Or 62% or money. 61% work, 57% political climate, and 51% talked about violence and crime. I bet you yesterday that went up from 51%. I bet you this morning it went up a little bit more. That fear of violence and crime, we're watching another shooting take place in Texas and then this morning in Ohio, I think it's four this week that had taken place. So, so maybe it actually feels hard for us to find rest. Stress seems to be easier. It seems to be what kind of consumes us a little bit more. It's capturing our hearts. It's capturing our minds. And it's making it seem really hard to find rest in our culture, in the climate of our culture. And it could be that we're looking at the culture as a large, in a big scope, like Scott talked about earlier, as we're praying for what's going on in our country right now. But for some of you, that just might seem so far over there. It doesn't really, you don't feel like it affects you all that much because you have enough stressors just in your own life, in your family, at, at work, in your own community. So it's not even about like when the big things happen because every day little things happen that are big to you. So when I mean little, I mean just not affecting as mass or on the news. So you might just find yourself in any of those ways, just carrying life. So where can we find and experience rest? In the midst of the pressures that we have in our life, is it even available to us? I want to remind you of the invitation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I, will give, and I will give you rest. I mean, the very kingdom of God coming to be established, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus' invitation was an invitation to rest. Come to me, find rest. Come to me, experience peace. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what he came through his life and his death and his resurrection to show us that there's life in him, there is peace, there is rest. But is that possible here and now? Is it here and now or is that only something that we're supposed to just hold on to things when we're here, just white knuckle it, man, until I'm out of here, then I'm gonna experience it? Or is it available now? Is it available now in our lives? Well, as I change, one of the reasons I changed things up for this morning is because whenever things like this happen, I find myself going back to the book of Philippians. And if you haven't read the book of Philippians in a while, and maybe you've been affected by the things on TV and what's going on right now, uh, read the book of Philippians. 
Paul just covers things in Philippians. I just read the, just read the whole, it's not very long. Just read the whole thing in one sitting and look at what he says and how he encourages them in that. But the verse that he ends the book with, it's basically the last, he does greetings at the end, but pretty much the last main statement he kind of says is in Philippians 4.13 that says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Has anyone ever heard of that verse before? I mean, I'd say other than John 3.16, that might be one of the most famous verses, wouldn't you say? I mean, we hear it all the time if you're around at all. Athletes actually have it tattooed onto their chest and stuff like that. Uh, a pretty big basketball player has it tattooed onto his shoe, not tattooed, but on his shoes, has Philippians 4.13. If you go into any businesses that are kind of Christian-owned, they might have a beautiful picture, right, with a guy standing on top of a big peak, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I can climb that crazy peak if I just trust in God. <laughs> I'm not going to put that one to the test, but I, we use it that way. It seems like this verse is used to motivate. In our culture, a very consumeristic, achievement-based culture, we use Philippians 4.13 to motivate people that they can accomplish anything, that they can get things, whatever they set their mind on, God's there with them to help them accomplish it. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that God is with us. I'm just going to say now in light of what's going on, I'm just going to be honest with you that I just struggle with how God is in part or involved with circumstances and the outcomes of circumstances that go on in our lives. I've said it a lot of times. I've heard it a lot of times. We talk all about it, about God's in control. And even now, you can hear it all over, probably the country in churches will talk about God is in control. Don't worry, God's in control of all things. But I don't know about you. Yesterday, I struggled with that statement. This morning, I struggle with that statement. Has anyone else struggled with those things? That just, we say the things and then we have to face the reality of what we see and we wonder, how does this work together? I mean, I struggled with it this very week and what went on. And I just want to tell you right now, I don't believe that God killed those people in Walmart. That 21-year-old guy that seemed to have lost it has. And I'm just going to sit on That's what I believe. And I don't have to sit there and figure out, did God do it or not? See, I struggle with the application of what it means that God is in control when we apply it just in that way. Because what I found over time, it definitely leads some people giving thanks because everything works out. And we love that. Uh, God worked this out. God worked this out. He opened this door. He opened this door. But at the same time, as someone that deals with people a lot, I've seen a lot of people just, it leaves them wondering, where is God? Because things didn't work out. Suffering continued. Things happened. And they wondered, what did they do wrong? Why is God coming through over there and not coming through over here? And that's real. And that's real hard issues as we face things like this. So that's why I love Philippians, because Paul deals with it, I think, differently. I think he gives us a different vision of what it might look like if we think of God being in control. And I kind of want to go, we're going to go through the book. We're going to take a look at this, you know, we're going to start here, John 4, uh, Philippians 4.13. But I want to look at the whole book. I want to see what it is in this book that leads us to that verse, that might help us have a better understanding of that verse, that might even be more powerful in our lives then it's going to help us to win a baseball game. It's deeper than that, more beautiful and more profound with that. 
And one of the first things we want, I wanna start off with is just talking about where Paul was when he wrote Philippians. Anyone know where Paul was when he wrote Philippians? Where, where was he? He was in prison. Paul was in prison. I mean, I've been so anxious today. Every service I've been so anxious because I don't wanna patronize people here that are suffering and going through life's things. I, I'm, I'm not going through stuff. I haven't gone through a whole bunch of suffering in my life. And so when I'm sitting there gonna come up after watching this, I'm gonna come up and say, give the answer, you know, that's gonna help you or whatever. I tell you, I take that very seriously. I, I get nervous for that because, you know, I, I, I don't have a whole bunch to relate to in that. So when I look at Paul, who's in a prison cell, it makes what he talks about in Philippians that much more powerful considering what he's going through. And so let's listen to the heart of Paul, right? He's sitting in his prison cell writing this letter to this church in a city called Philippi. And this is a place he has spent time with. They've given him money. They've sent people to be with him. I mean, this is a church that it seems like he is very, very close with. And they're concerned about him. And he writes there this letter. So when we just get to Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's he talking about? What is it that he, what's the all things? Well, let's take a look. Philippians 4, right before it in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right there, if you just look at the passages that precede that one, you begin to see the context of what it is as to all things. And I think it's this, that contentment in any circumstance seems to be the all things that Paul is talking about. Do you see that in there? So man, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm fed, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in need, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, I have learned to be content. I can be content in all circumstances in Christ Jesus, even while sitting in this prison cell. What an encouraging and challenging place to try to get to. Because the real reality is, I mean, you, you, you can't, it's so hard to get to there if, I, if you're not suffering yourself. I mean, any of you ever known anyone going through suffering? And you sit there and go, I'm going to go encourage them. And you just walk out completely encouraged. Like you had nothing to bring to their table, you know. You just walked out going, oh man, did I need to spend time with that? I thought they needed me, but I needed them. Because they're like a Paul character in your life that sees things in a certain way that's so powerful. So he's making this statement about his own mindset. His mindset and well-being in the midst of circumstances that are so jacked up as he's sitting in prison. And he's encouraging his people that he's writing in Philippi for them to not be anxious for him, to not be concerned for him. You can only imagine how deeply concerned they were as their leader is in a prison, as their leader has been beaten and arrested and put in jail. And they're so concerned for him. And in the midst of that, in Philippians 4, 6, he says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like I think Paul is saying, like, hey, I know you're concerned. I can understand that you've sent me letters, you've sent me people. I know you're concerned, but I want to tell you, don't be anxious about me. Pray 
Rejoice with thanksgiving and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Don't let your concern for me rule in your heart. I'm good for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have found contentment even where I'm at. So don't worry about me. I mean, I think that's the context of this passage in Philippians 4, 6. And once a year ago, I was studying just on anxiety a little, and I saw a sermon title says, Why Anxiety is a Sin, and it went to this verse. And the guy just hammered, anyone that might feel anxious, you're just a sinner, right? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't even see this as a command. I see this as an encouragement to those that had all the right in the world to be anxious. The guy they loved was suffering and they were concerned. Does that make sense? And he's trying to tell them the not, to don't worry, to set their mind on other things and allow the peace of God to capture not his circumstance. Look what he goes on right after saying Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I just love this list. Kind of made me start thinking that Paul's just throwing things out going, come on, you got to be able to find something, right? It's like, I'll give you a whole list of stuff. Can you, can you think of anything that's true, anything that's noble, anything to get your mind off of me? So that you're not consumed by my situation that's going to cause anxiety and stress. Instead, you can rest by focusing on those things that are noble or right or pure or lovely or admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Just think about those things. And then whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Keep moving forward. Don't allow this to cause you to kind of curl up in a corner, right? Being afraid that you're going to be the next one. Now keep moving forward and the God of peace will be with you. What a beautiful encouragement to keep helping, to keep reaching out, to keep caring, to keep giving thanks, to keep rejoicing no matter what the situation or the result. It's like eight different times in this four chapter book he teaches them to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And one of the craziest ones to me, one of the heaviest ones is Philippians 2, verse 17. He says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I mean, if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I mean, here's Paul. And even in this letter, if you read through Philippians, it's the part where he sits there and says, man, whether I live or die, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to serve God and serve you. Yeah, man, I'd love to go home and be with the Lord, but if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to do this, what, I, Whatever. And if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I'm going to end up dying in this prison for the sake of the faith that other people might come to know Christ, that people might pay attention because of my suffering, then I am going to be glad and rejoice with all of you, and you too should be, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's like Paul just is accepting the circumstance. He finds himself as kind of like what it is, and there's only so much he can do about it. And he can get consumed about it if he wants to, but he would rather be consumed with rejoicing, giving thanks, and keep on moving forward. So crazy and so awesome. Uh, talking to Rich this week about CR, it just made me think about the serenity prayer. Anyone know the serenity prayer? If you don't know it, you're going to know it now. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change 
courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That is a very powerful. Anyone here ever find that you focus so much on what you can't change that it tires you out and stresses you out so much you don't have any energy to even put any effort towards that which you can change? You know what I mean? Did that make sense? Man, we can get so consumed, and sometimes the big picture can get that way. It can make us sit there and go, I can't make a difference. Oh, you know, just let go and let God. I can't do anything. It has to be all God. What are you talking about? I don't even know what that means. Because when I look at something yesterday that happened, there's one thing I know, that one man can make a huge difference in this world. And he did for 20 people and their families and for a whole nation that's on alert now. And I just can't help but think if he can do that, maybe I can bring something better to the table than that. And I can bring some love and bring some caring and maybe my life does matter. And I don't think God necessarily wants to sit back and just go like, I can do anything, just let go and let God. I think he does. I think he's saying, no, go. And we're gonna talk about that. Make a difference. But one thing that I can focus on, I need to focus on rejoicing. I need to focus on what Paul is encouraging them over and over again in this time of turmoil and chaos when he's in prison and their, their lives are threatened to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. And to find something true and to find something praiseworthy. And right in the middle of the book, he tells us what's true and what's praiseworthy. It's that we are loved by God through Christ. And if that's all you got, then focus on that because there's nothing more beautiful than that anyways. We're loved by God through Christ. So focus on rejoicing in God's love through Christ is a key for finding rest and contentment. And Paul in this book points that out. It's almost like he's saying, if you can't find anything else, man, that's the most beautiful thing anyway. And to keep your heart and keep your mind focused on that. And no doubt, I'm sure that's what Paul was doing. While he was sitting there suffering in a prison cell, I have no doubt that he was focusing on the life of Christ. And what that means in his life. That he's loved by God through Christ and he's letting that be the center of his thoughts and the center of his hope. You know, I didn't do a whole bunch in the life plan today, but... I thought right now it'd be a cool place to maybe just stop and just stop for a minute. If you have your life plan book or if you have just a, a, your, your phone or whatever and you want to write down just a thanksgiving to God, just to find that which is true about God and his love for you that's true and praiseworthy and excellent to focus on that. Maybe, I just want, maybe you can pray with someone next to you. Your parents are here, your, your spouse, a friend. I know that might be weird. Maybe just for one minute, you can just pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Whether it be just setting your heart on that quietly, writing it down or praying with someone. I was gonna give you a minute to just say thanks because I think there's nothing more true and more noble and more praiseworthy than the love of God through Christ. So take a minute and do that, and then we'll continue on. You know, if you guys have been around me, I talk about that subject a lot, but I just want to sit there and say, man, about every day, just about every day I spend time at the beginning just trying to set my heart on thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, John Piper once said that the Christian life's not a life of perfection, but a life of fighting, and I find that gratitude is worth fighting for. And so every day, I just wanted to give you a minute 
to say you should do that every morning. Just set your mind on gratitude. But being grateful and, and being thankful, you know, for, for the love of God is one thing. But it also seemed like just sitting and resting in Christ is just the beginning, right, of true rest and contentment. But realizing how that might empower us to love others and to take it to others is just as important. Look what he says in Philippians 2 verse 1. He goes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you find that rest in Christ, that contentment of just I'm united with Christ, any comfort from his love, I'm loved by God through Christ, any fellowship with the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So no doubt Christ shows God's love to us by coming, laying down his life. We're talking about the, the you know, God in the flesh, laying down his life to serve us, to give his life for us. And it's order for us then to be able to help other people see the love that God has shown us. That's what Paul's prayer to this church in Philippi was, was about. Look at Philippians 1.9. He says, and this is my prayer. You want to know my prayer for you? My prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I always think about this verse. People come in and go, can you pray about me for this? Can you pray for me this? Yeah, we'll pray for things. But you know what my real prayer is? Part of my real prayer is, is I pray that their love may abound more and more towards whatever people is in their lives, no matter what the circumstances. That our love may abound more and more with depth of insight. It doesn't seem like his prayers for their success, for all the circumstances to change, as much as it is for their love for one another. That their love may abound even more, even in the midst of what they're facing. So yes, rejoicing in Christ's love for us is the foundation of our rest, but being empowered by Christ's love to love others can result in a rest that transcends circumstances. Have you guys ever found out that there's never a lack of people to love? Have you ever figured that out? There's never a lack of people to love. But man, when I focus is my circumstances, when my focus is like, is everyone loving me? When my focus is everything working out, I man, I can get consumed by things. But when our focus can be loving one another, circumstances don't get in the way. Circumstances are just the means to make an impact. And it's real. I've watched it in people's lives. I've seen it in some of the craziest situations, circumstances. Here's Paul even experiencing that in his own life. And he gives us a vision of how he sees things. In Philippians 2.9, he goes, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place that, the name, that at the name of Jesus every knee I'm going to read that again. Therefore, exalted to him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of uh, the Father. Man, Paul had this vision that every knee would bow, that every tongue would confess to Jesus, that whatever, hey, I'm in prison, I'm not in prison. Hey, through my life and death, as long as people are seeing the love of God, that's okay. If my life is being poured out as an offering, 
that's okay, I'll rejoice, as long as I'm continuing to move forward. Even sitting in this prison cell, having been beaten and rejected, still rejoicing because I wanna see the love and the mercy of God continue to reach so that every knee will bow, knee will bow every tongue will pass, everyone will come to know the love of God. I, if you don't know the story, in Acts chapter 16, there's actually a story of Paul and a guy named Silas that are in prison together. And while they're in prison together, at nighttime, they're singing praises. They got beaten up and everything, and they got thrown in prison, and they're singing praises to God at night. And all of a sudden, an earthquake hits, the doors fling open, and everyone takes off, except for Paul and Silas. Because you see, the guard realizes, because all the prisoners are free, that he's going to die now, so he's going to kill himself. But before he can kill himself, Paul and Silas come out of their cell and go, whoa, don't do it, we're still here. And he's all, why are you still here? Because I want every knee to bow. I want every tongue to confess. And I want you to know the love of God. I don't know if that would have been my thinking. I'm going to run it as fast as I can, just hoping my Achilles doesn't pop. <laughs> but man, to think that Paul, and you know what happened? That guard brings Paul and Silas to his home and his whole family trust in the love of God through Christ. How beautiful is that? Paul lived out exactly what he was saying. And guess where they were in prison? In Philippi in Acts 16. In Philippi. Though he could have ran, his focus was not on himself, it was on others. And he wanted to continue. A matter of fact, just right after that, they make a, they go, oh, let those guys go. He's a Roman citizen. Oh, we should let him go. And Paul goes, heck no. They imprisoned me falsely, and they know I'm Roman. No, I want to appeal to the boss, man. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> Come on, Paul, just go. No, I want to tell more people about Jesus. I want them to know the love of God. I want every tongue to confess. I want everyone to know. That's the rule and reign of Christ in and through us as church. That's what Paul was putting on display. That's what it looks like. Philippians 2.13, he says this, for it is God who works in you. For what? To will and act according to his good purpose. I believe God has a good purpose and the good purpose is to act in and through you. Through the power of the Spirit, he wants to work in and through you to accomplish that which is his good purpose. God works in us. It's my belief that it is in us that it's a reign and the rule of Christ on this earth. That the spirit of God is in the temple of God, which is you and I. We're the temple on this earth where he rules and reigns in the hearts and minds of his followers to continue to bring the love to others, to call others into the kingdom, to help others see the love in God through Christ. No wonder in Philippians 2, 14, it's like do nothing, do everything without complaining and arguing. Without a doubt, we complain and argue too much. So they become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Empowering us with his love. Empowering us through contentment and peace. Empowering us to advance his kingdom as we reach to others, as we stand up for the oppressed as he did, as we stand against violence, hatred, racism, and sexism. And I tell you, it's taken me a long time 
to not just want to battle violence with violence and hatred with hatred. It's hard. I mean, it, it, it's hard to set our hearts on that. I could tell you when I think about this, when I think about this idea, yesterday when I heard about the shooting and I realized that the guy that did the shooting survived, one of my first thoughts is, ah, oh, he still has an opportunity to come to know the love of God through Christ. Oh, I pray that his heart and mind will be transformed somehow. That's a, that's a shift for me from like, why didn't they blow him up? That's a shift for me. To sit there and long for every knee to bow and every tongue confess, everyone to come and see the beauty that we see. But we need to stand against violence, hatred, racism, but we stand against it with love, with beauty, with hope. We need to help those in need, walk with those struggling and suffering and hurting, accepting those that are different than us, loving, forgiving, and showing grace to those around us. I'm just going to be honest with you. You might not agree with this, and that's okay. We're, we, we all see things differently, and I'm just a guy trying to figure this out. But I very rarely, hardly ever, I don't even know, pray for circumstances to change. That's not even on my radar. When I talked about earlier, I don't understand how that all works, you know. I don't usually pray for that. I see the sovereignty of God is allowing to happen what happens it. That God's kind of created that happens, it happens. That my life matters. What I do makes a difference. What you do makes a difference. I know it makes a difference with my wife and with my kids. It makes a difference. I see a lot of good. I see a lot of bad. But I find myself praying that the spirit of God would change me. That he had helped me to find that rest and contentment so I might be empowered to take it to others. I find myself praying that all the time that I learned to have patience and kindness and gentleness, that I would stand, yes, against the oppressed, but with love and kindness of Christ, that I would stand against violence, but not with violence, but with love and peace, that I'd stand against hatred, not with hatred, but with love. I pray for that for my life, and I wanna tell you, I pray that I'd be empowered to love others, to stand in the gap, whatever that might be, whoever it is I'm working with, whoever it is I'm meeting with, to somehow put others above myself, to advance his love in and through my life. That's what I pray because I'm far from it and I just want to grow in that. I also pray for you. I pray for that other hearts to be changed just like that shooter's heart would be changed. That God would work in each and every one of our hearts and our lives to understand and the rest in Christ and in that rest and in that contentment to be empowered to love others. That's what I pray. That's how I believe the love and the, uh, that the, the rule and the reign of Christ works on this earth. That's how I believe it works. That idea, like whatever I think Christ, whatever I pray God come do, I think he says, okay, go do. Go love, go care, go make a difference. That we might love the ones that are closest to us and even figure out how to love those that are intent on power, violence, anger, and greed. That our lives might shine brightly Instead of just being people that complain, but our lives shine brightly in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our communities. That our lives shine brightly in this world as we rest and rejoice in the love of God that he has put on display through Christ and desire for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess and see that love as well. I at least think that's part of the answer. It's the one that I can wrap my head around. It's the one I know that I can walk in today with whoever comes in my path. I can rest in the love of God and love others. May it start there.
and then move out as we see lives transformed by the love of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Paul who experienced so much suffering but was able to continue to rejoice, continue to love, continue to move forward. He is such a beautiful example in this book of someone that is the kingdom of God here on this earth, living through his life, reaching those that are around him, furthering the kingdom of God. May we rest and find contentment in your love for us, but then we, may that empower us to love others as we find rest and contentment and beauty in that as we realize our lives get to make a difference each and every day. May your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done in and through our lives as it's being done in heaven. May you receive all the glory and honor. Be with us during this time. Help us to not just be people that complain and gripe, but people that love and give and care and move things forward in a beautiful way. For your glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen.